Hey everyone, my online course on the rehabilitation of the fitness athlete with Dan Pope is on sale this week. If you want to work with higher level fitness athletes and help people get back into the gym after an injury, this is the course for you. Head to MikeRandall.com slash fitathlete to learn more and sign up this week. On this episode of the Ask Mike Reynolds Show, we talk about subacromial versus internal impingement. We talk about squatting past 90 degrees and the use of nutrition in the physical therapy realm. The Ask Mike Reynolds Show. Helping people feel better, move better, and perform better. Welcome back, everybody, to the latest episode of the Ask Mike Reynolds Show. I'm up at Champion PT Performance up in Boston. I'm here with Dan Pope. (laughs) (laughs) Dave Tilly, that was super creepy. Mike Scaduto and Lenny Macrina. We're here with our three musketeers, Nikhil Shaquille O'Neal Harani from the University of Kentucky. Nailed it. Drew Dooby Dooby Dudek from the University of Belmont College. State <laughs> and Kevin Casey K Cup Coughlin from UMass Lowell. I like the I like the Casey K Cup. Casey K Cup. It's better than Sounds the Boston like Casey Star Casey from Top Forty. Ooh, I was thinking like a Casey like strip like a steak. Like it's a Casey K Cup. Uh, like you can't sit. Yeah. Nice. All right, take it away, Drew Dooby Dooby Doo Deck. All right, so Alex from New York. Can you discuss the differences in assessment and treatment of internal versus external shoulder impingement? No. All right, so the difference between assessment and treatment of internal versus external. So terminology-wise, there's we'll call it subacromial impingement, which is extra-articular, right? And then internal impingement, which is intra-articular, right? So just I guess just to start with that, you know, the rotator cuff comes in and attaches to the humeral head. You know, a subacromial or an extra-articular impingement is, is on the outside of that, at the top. And that's super, super common, right? That's that's what shoulder impingement, that's what rotator cuff tendinopathy tends to be. Internal impingement is when it happens on the undersurface, on the articular side of the of the cuff. So why don't we get why don't we start? How about how about Len? How do you diagnose the two differently? Pasta. I'm trying to lead the conversation. How do you diagnose? Diagnose, uh, probably I'll do some impingement signs like uh, Hawkins Kennedy, Nears, and uh, get their subjective, see if they have a pain overhead, pain here, referring down, versus pain in the back. So pain in the back is going to be more internal impingement, posterior impingement, where the infraspinatus is more involved. Pain up top, kind of referring down, is going to be more uh, subacromial impingement. Older populations probably going to have more uh, subacromial impingement, maybe 40 plus versus the younger. Uh, maybe a little looser person may have posterior impingement where they have anterior translation. We see it a lot in baseball, or we see it somewhat in baseball with the anterior translation. More so pain at a layback position or late cocking if you're talking biomechanically, pain back here. So that's how I differentially diagnose some tests and then when they feel the pain overhead versus kind of follow through up layback or location. So first classification then we'll say is is location, mm-hmm. right? So subacromial impingement tends to be anterior superior, right? Internal impingement tends to be posterior superior, right? So it's kind of front versus back. That's probably number one. I'm just kind of summarizing like So number two then would be population, 
right? An older individual probably doesn't have internal impingement. Internal impingement is kind of like an overhead athlete injury. I, 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 unless, you know, unless you're an athlete and using your arm overhead, you don't tend to get internal impingement, right? It's, it's not the same type of impingement. It's usually from when you have external rotation in a sport, right? You have some instability and, and it tends to, to chafe the inside of the rotator cuff because your humeral head's moving around a little bit. So second would be patient population. And then third would be then special tests. So there are specific special tests that are for subacromial impingement, like a Hawkins, a near, right? Even a cross body type thing, like we're actually impinging in there. And then there is an internal impingement sign as well. So Keith Meister described that in AJXM, like in 2000, 1999, something like that. Uh, but the internal impingement sign. So it's location, it's the person, like the population, and then the special test. They're putting them in external, the supine external rotation. Talk about that Meister test. Juke! And then. And then giving them a little posterior uh, translation to the humeral head. If they have pain at end range, and then you posteriorly translate, and the pain goes away, then you know that they probably have internal impingement, meaning the pain is gone. All right, so classification. So treatment, these are two different things, yeah. right? I think that's the most important part here. Just because they're both shoulder impingement doesn't mean they're the same. You know, it's the same thing, right? So you have to understand what it is. Like for the baseball player, internal impingement, this is a big deal. But the reason why they have it is because of lack of dynamic stability, usually some weakness, lack of dynamic stability. We can't fix necessarily like rotator cuff pathology. We can't fix like partial tearing or fraying necessarily. So you would work on strength and dynamic stability of the shoulder. For the older individual, now this is a big can of worms, right? Now you could be having mobility restrictions that are causing that impingement, right? Poor scapular motion, poor T-spine motion, you know, those types of things. So it's usually, you know, a, you know, a big difference between those. So um, that's a big topic. We can talk all day about that. But um, I think that's where you start. It's just understanding the difference between the two, I think, will, will lead your treatment quite well. So, all right, what's next? Uh, Rich from Mississippi. Hello from Mississippi. Sip. I've worked in the personal training, CrossFit, and now physical therapy industry as a PTA, and there seems to be one topic I can't escape. Why should we or why should we not squat past 90 degrees? Ooh, that's a good question. All right, so for all right, Ridge, I like it. Good question. Why should we or should we not squat past 90 degrees? Who, who would like to start? That is screaming Dr. Dan Poe. Dan Poe. <laughs> like really shallow squats. <laughs> like, you like just doing 30-degree squats? Yeah. So this is a huge can of worms, and there's there's two ends of the spectrum, I think, when I start looking at some of the blogs out there, and it kind of makes me a little bit mad um, because you have one side oh, of the spectrum that never makes you squat. They never want you to squat below, like, 90 degrees, or squatting in general is bad, right? And the other camp is like, dude, go to town. Deep squatting obviously is really healthy for you. Look at Olympic weightlifters. They do it all the time. They're fine. I think in general, you're going to have some benefits that come with deep squatting, and you're going to also have some negatives that come with deep squatting, too. So if you're doing really deep squatting, that's gonna be stressful in the knees. You're gonna expose your joints to new ranges of motion. You have more flexion at the hip. There's more stress in a lot of places because you're squatting deep, you know? There's also a lot of benefits to going through that full range of motion. I'm sure you're getting some health benefits to the knees, the hips, and the spine just from doing that, right? So part of it is that it depends on the person that's in front of you. If they really wanna squat deep, if that's a really important part of what they love doing or need to do for their sport, then yeah, you gotta probably do that, right? Um, if they don't need to squat for a living, if they don't need to squat deep, then I would say it's fine doing partial ranges as well, but maybe from time to time exposing their hips and their knees and their ankles to full flexion just to get some of those health benefits and maybe use that as part of some warm-up. So. With less load in there, yeah. You got yeah. it. And the other piece is like the individual. So some people are not necessarily made to squat really deep and they're going to run to more trouble. So for one person, squat is phenomenal. They can squat all day long. 
another person that may potentially give them some pain and problems down the line. It's not built for it. Right. And then, or maybe their technique's really bad, right? So you have to kind of like work on all that. So yeah, I, I would say at Champion, we are of the, we have of the thought process that there's no reason to say you can't do well, anything, let alone squatting past 90. There's no reason. You just have to understand, you know, what happens. There's consequences, you know? So the deeper you go, the more stress there is, right? But Theoretically, there's more strength benefits for going super deep too. So it, it all depends on your goal. And look, if you have proper form and stuff like that, and, and, and you can tolerate it, then then do it. But everything in life is on a spectrum of stress, right? I mean, I'm sure eating that bag of potato chips or that that whole thing of ice cream isn't good for you. But there's pros to it, right? You feel better afterwards, I guess. I don't know. It's great. I don't know what the yeah. It's awesome, right? <laughs> but you still eat that ice cream, right? It's kind of the same thing. You can't say, "Well, never eat ice cream." I guess people say that. I don't say that. I love ice cream, but it, but you know conceptually, it's it's look that you just have to put this all together. If you want to go deep, maybe you just play with the load or you play with the frequency or something. It's, yeah, I, I hate when people say you can't do anything, right? Yeah, everyone's in agreement. Good. What do we got next? Next. All right, uh, Ben from Indianapolis. Hey, Mike, love the podcast. I wanted to know how much information you give out about nutrition to your clients. Do any of you know of any PTs holding a nutritional certification? How big of a part do you think nutrition is to recovery? Thanks. Ah, good question. All right. So nutrition in physical therapy. I think that's a good caveat, right? Not just in fitness in there. Mike, do you do you guys learn anything about nutrition for recovery in in school? Uh, nutrition was an elective that you could take. Um, did you not, elect not, to take it? I did not. Dang it. Um, <laughs> what did you take instead? I think it was an advanced ortho class. Oh, I, I, I don't know why it. they made you choose, but yeah, um, right. <laughs> we don't learn a ton about it. Um, I don't know, and I guess you guys can answer this as well, how, how in the scope of practice for PT nutrition really is. Um, I don't know. So Good I, point. Um, so I don't give a ton of nutritional advice. I can give some basic thoughts on what you should and shouldn't be eating. I think that's pretty straightforward. Um, but I'm not going to break down someone's macros and micros and, and make a nutritional outline for them. I just don't feel comfortable doing that. It's not yeah. my world. Makes sense. That's That's... I would say most PTs, I don't think our basic education would, yeah. we, I don't think we'd be giving you a good recommendation. Yeah, I mean, I think I kind of view it as the same thing as like a strength and conditioning relationship, like professionally, it's like, you really want to know the basics of those concepts, but it comes down to like the same way you wouldn't want a strength coach to program a rehab program, you wouldn't want a PT to maybe write a nutritional program, and I studied a lot of this for my SCS, there was a ton of stuff on it, and still I don't feel super comfortable going past the superficial layer, and I, I work with nutritionists to learn more and hopefully get that information, but you can really mess somebody up if you start dancing in an area you don't really know. I love nutrition. Like, I almost became nutritionist, and I, I would say I like exercise about the same as nutrition, right? Wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. Sorry, I don't know what you guys knew about it. I like turtles, too. <laughs> turtles, nutrition, <laughs> yeah. and what, exercise? Yeah, fitness. I like, fitness. I like, yeah. Yeah. Like, there is no way in my brain that I think nutrition is not an important player mm. in pain just that we have no idea at this point, right? We're starting to find out that stress is very important. We're starting to figure out that sleep is super important. Nutrition, there's no way nutrition is not important. It's just that we have no research to show, like if you eat broccoli three times a week, your pain is gonna go down. There's no research. I mean, I've looked into some of this stuff. Um, there's some research in like ginger and turmeric and like osteoarthritis and some supplements, but that's really about it. So there's definitely gotta be something to it, and I definitely want people to eat better. It's just that as far as the time that we have as physical therapists, and even like strength and conditioning, that's a niche thing, but we know strength and conditioning is beneficial for pain problems. Right. We don't know that nutrition is important yet as far as pain right. issues. But man, there's a whole new world out there of autoimmunity based stuff, and 
anti-inflammatory based stuff in terms of dietary things, the microbiome, the gut, you know, there's so much that we don't know yet that we're getting there. But like, you know, from what you said, there are some things like for me, I, I don't know if this is nutrition, but like for an arthritic person, we'll, we'll recommend, recommend like uh, glucosamine and chondroitin, right? Like uh, there's very small uh, uh, evidence showing that it may be beneficial, but it's one of those things with why not, right? So I guess that's partly nutrition that we do that. Um, you know, we do know there's plenty of research on like stuff like protein and stuff like that on strength gains, mm -hmm. which makes perfect sense to me. Maybe we should be doing more of this where, hey, you just had surgery and you're trying to get your quad back. <coughs> Maybe we should be having a you know X amount of grams of protein per caloric you know intake, total yeah caloric intake you know stuff like yeah exactly you get like constipated after like like surgery and you know you don't you lose your appetite like there's 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 yeah, there's there's so much out there um, I will say one thing I did a few years ago my friends at examine.com if you don't know what examine.com is by the way it's like the by far the number one resource on supplements on the internet. That thing is amazing. So it's completely free, all that stuff's on there. It just tells you everything there is to know about any supplement. But I reached out to them and said, hey, let's make a guide. You tell me what are the supplements that will, that have been proven scientifically uh, to excuse me, to help recover or like, you know, you know like just return from an injury-based thing. And essentially like, there wasn't anything, right? So we just, we didn't, that doesn't mean it doesn't exist, we just didn't know. Yeah, right. And his last question too about like PTs with nutrition is it's not a PT, but John Berardi had a like little module on like uh, surgery and recovery when I think it was GSP, George St. Pierre, like towards ACL and they worked together to supplement his nutrition during his training, his recovery. And he has like a four part series that actually was really helpful as a PT. So right. check that out. People talk about it all the time to say if you eat enough, you're more likely to have these little overuse injuries. It makes sense. You don't have the fuel to rebuild after. That's interesting. Yeah. That's super interesting. So I think what I would say is like, look, if you're like Dan and you love fitness, turtles, and nutrition, <laughs> wow. and, and you put those all together, then get supplement turtles. Yeah, get, you can. Get, Getting something like a, like a certification, like a precision nutrition certification that complements your practice, I don't think that's out of your scope. I don't think that's a bad move to do, but you just got to realize you have limited time with your people if that's what you want to choose to do. I think the best bet is this is just like coaching and stuff like that. It's probably best to find somebody to collaborate with and outsource that and, and just work as a team. Make sense? Excellent. Excellent. Awesome. Excellent. Thanks so much. Another Excellent. great episode. We'll see you guys on the next episode. Head to MikeReynolds.com, click on that podcast link, and you can ask us some more awesome questions. Anything you guys want to talk about, PT, fitness, sports performance, business, dance, turtle fetish, anything you guys want to talk about, we will cover it in great detail. We have to. They ask it. We have to. Do turtle swap no a little parallel? I'm fine with it. So if somebody really parallel, wants man. to get their question answered, look, there's been a lot of people commenting on Dan's beard. Comment on turtles, and we'll get that question in there. We'll see you guys on the next episode. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. If you have a question you'd like us to answer, head to MikeRinal.com slash podcast and fill out the form to submit your question. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And please share this with your friends to help spread the word. It would really mean so much to us. Please check out all my online courses, articles, newsletter, and more at MikeRinal.com. There's always a ton of great perks for my newsletter subscribers. And be sure to check for my other podcast, the Sports Physical Therapy Podcast, where I go deep into topics and interview leaders within our field. See you on the next episode.